0: Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to discuss the topic of livestock water quality. In particular, we're also going to look at the issue that we can see in the summer in Nebraska, Kansas, surrounding states with algae blooms and some of the challenges that could present for livestock producers. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Steve Ensley, as well as Dr. Scott Fritz, who are both part of the toxicology department there at Kansas State University. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. This is great to talk about.
1: Good to be here, Aaron. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Well, as we look at the weather in Kansas and Nebraska, many parts of Kansas and Nebraska have been under some really drought conditions. And as we move into the summer here, there's already been reports of ponds and lakes, things like that, where blue-green algae has been uh, recognized or detected. As we think about livestock water and we think about, in particular, cattle drinking out of ponds and dams, what are some things that the weather conditions we've been experiencing this year? And then just going back historically, as we think about blue-green algae, why is that an issue for cattle drinking out of ponds and dams?
1: I think the big, biggest driving factor for some of this, for at least algal blooms, is um, nutrient concentration in water. And so these, these Algae are they're actually bacteria. They're, they're naturally present in basically every water body we have, but there's, you know, certain environmental conditions when you've got still water, uh, the water gets warm and you get a, a pretty good concentration of nitrogen and phosphorus in that water body. These algae will proliferate uh, really, really quickly and they'll form what's called a bloom and the blooms themselves, they just proliferate so fast that these algae, you know, they, it'll form a scum on top of the surface and a lot of the algae that do that are capable of producing different cyanotoxins or uh, or blue-green algae toxins.
0: As you think about conditions, and you mentioned, you know, just the nutrients available, the warm conditions, as livestock producers think about their stock ponds or dams, what are some things they can do to try to minimize the risk of incurring a blue-green algae bloom?
1: I think part of the problem with the stock dams, I mean, a, a true problem is, you know, they're We're always building them in low areas, right? Because it makes sense to catch water in the lowest spot. Uh, But the problem with that is it's going to catch all the runoff. And so when we've, you know, fertilized crop ground, when we fertilize some pastures, um, we're putting excess nitrogen and oftentimes phosphorus on there to enhance the growth of our pastures and forage crops. But, you know, when you get some of these bigger rainfall events in the early part of the summer and these thunderstorms come through, they can wash a lot of that, those nutrients off the surface or even pull them out of the soil as that water runs. And ultimately collects in the low spot which is often where we put our stock dams and you know i think one of the the big things is just to pay attention to fertilization rates and make sure you know just because one pound per acre is good doesn't mean two is better and then another thing i think we run into is we've kind of lost our you know filtering capabilities we don't have a lot of grasses growing around those ponds you know we they're oftentimes dirt or Um, you know, we clear the way for the water to just roll in there unimpeded. And I think that that contributes somewhat um, to the problem too.
0: So if a producer is looking at their pond or dam and thinking, hey, maybe could I have a problem here? What are some visual signs that there might be an issue? And then further, if they want to get that tested, what should they do?
1: Sure. So the, you know, the main indicator is the visual appearance of the water. And so most of these algae will float. They, you know, they can kind of alter their position in the depth of the water just to maximize their ability to harvest sunlight for their energy production. And so oftentimes they're buoyant and they'll float. And, it, you know, in the Midwest, we often get day winds. And so a lot of times they'll be wind blown to one side of the pond or the other. So Physically, the you know, you, you typically don't have a solid mass floating on the surface of the entire pond. If you go to the downwind side, you might have, you know, a couple feet of, the downwind edge of that pond that's got some surface disturbance or discoloration. And it it really does look like paint a lot of times, like somebody just dumped paint that maybe is a little bit drier than fresh paint, but it'll be floating on the surface. Um, otherwise you can just have some plain discoloration to that water. And it, it really depends on you know time of day that you're looking at it in the morning. Sometimes it's more visible just because you haven't actually haven't picked up the day winds yet and they haven't started disturbing the water surface. So I think the big driver's uh, physical appearance, but also you can't put, you know, you can't rely on that to make a diagnosis either. So you really need to have that water tested. If you notice that the water looks different, especially, you know, these, these blooms can happen really, really fast. If it looks different than it did yesterday or a couple of days ago, um, I, I would encourage people to get that water tested and it's pretty easy to do. Um, you, I mean, you do need to be a little bit careful. Some of these toxins cause some problems with with human skin, but you still if you want to get a sample the important thing is to go to the downwind side of the pond use a clean jar or water bottle you know just just make sure it's a clean one and take the water sample from you know reach out in the pond as far as you can go and take the water sample from an inch or two below the surface and try to capture some of that scum and then you can submit that to a number of labs you know there's there's commercial kits that many labs will use to analyze for the toxins themselves here at the Diagnostic Lab at Kansas State, we actually put the water on a microscope slide and look at it microscopically first. Um, it's a pretty cheap and convenient way to do it, um, but we'll actually look microscopically and identify if there's any any species in there that are capable of producing a toxin or not, um, and can maybe make that a little bit more economical for producers that way.
0: Dr. Williams, as we think about the impacts of some of these blooms, what are some indications that you might have that going on from an animal behavior, animal health standpoint?
2: So typically, the the two toxins, cyanotoxins, that we're most concerned about are the microcystin, which is, is one that will damage the liver. So if animals are, if we have a bloom and we have blue-green algae that are producing this toxin, uh, it doesn't, the dose can be very small, but it can still cause a large effect in the animal, so it can damage the liver. So it may take you know, days or maybe even weeks after the exposure, sometimes before you'll see clinical signs that you know you could attribute to the bloom uh, with a liver toxin. That th- and that's the most common one we see. There, there's a, there, another one is a neurotoxin, and that one typically is very fast acting. Uh, that one is can be within minutes to hours after animals consume that they can uh, get enough to die. We've had. We've had instances where dogs would swim through a pond where there's a blue-green algae bloom, and the neurotoxin was present. They would get to the other side of the pond, and within you know five minutes, would fall over with seizures and die. So that you know, both of the, both of the toxins are really uh, small doses can have a large effect. But you know, the the hepatotoxin one is the most common one we see. And it can be, you know, just expressed as just poor doing cattle. They're not gaining weight. Don't look right. Something's not right with them. And then we can draw blood, look for liver enzymes to see if they're affected. And then the neurotoxin is, you know, if you see adult animals on grass that die, you know, you, they were fine yesterday. They, you come out today and they're dead. Then one of the, you know, one of the things in the differential list is definitely this neurotoxic blue-green algae that we find.
0: For those cattle that maybe ingested some and had some liver damage, is that something they'll recover from, or is that going to be a permanent type situation for them?
2: So it's, it's dose related. So we do see some that get over that. Uh, we do see some that, you know, get chronic illness, and then don't recover. So typically it's, yeah, it's, it's how good of a job you can do, you know, watching the animals. If you see a bloom, a potential bloom, you know, we like to get them away from there for at least two weeks if we can. And so, you know, but uh, a lot of times we're handicapped because, you know, we've got pasture we've got to use. We've only got one water source. And so, you know, it's always a, a balancing, you know, between, you know, how, 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 how much risk we can assume trying to use water. We think there's a bloom in or, you know, if we don't uh, if we don't have any water, then, you know, we can't use the pasture either. Uh, so you need to be aware of it. You know, after rainfall events are typically the times we want to be looking at the water closely to see what happens in the next 24, 48 hours. And, uh, you know, just just monitor monitor your your surface water supplies that you have, you know, for these blooms. Because, unfortunately, you know, they're becoming more common rather than, you know, uncommon. As
0: we think about ponds and dams, you mentioned they're pretty much concentrated more towards the surface. Is the deeper water in that pond or dam then safe for the cattle to drink? If people were to pump out of those deeper levels, or is that still a risk as well?
2: Yeah, so we talked about. You know, the, uh, if you have a, if you can put, if you can run a, a you know, a watering device through the dam of the pond, where you gonna, where you're gonna take water from below the surface. That you know, that's one strategy to try to get away from from where the algal bloom is and where the toxins may be concentrated, but. So that's a strategy. It's not fail safe, you know, but that's one of the the things we talk about trying to do also.
0: As we also think about livestock water quality, not only can these algae blooms be an issue, but just solids in the water, salinity. Uh, Talk through just some of the issues that can be present there also as we think about surface water and livestock drinking that.
1: I think one of the big things with water, especially in a drought year, so, I mean, you take a body of water and you reduce it by half, then you've doubled the concentration of anything that's dissolved within that water. And so there's some things that are just naturally present in water that, you know, it's basically an overaccumulation of normal. Um, some of the minerals, we you know, we talked about iron a little bit. Um, certain parts of the state are going to have some excess sulfate in the water. And if you really concentrate those, you know, the cattle's intake isn't going to change. And so they're, they're ingesting more than they typically would. And so you can, especially with iron, you can get some interference with mineral absorption, you know, it'll compete with some of the trace minerals that we're intending to try to get our cattle to absorb. It'll compete with their absorption. You start getting excess sulfur in the water, you can get enough in there to contribute to, you know, maybe some polio cases if it's severe enough. And so drought really does, does drive a lot of problems. Again, it'll concentrate the nitrogen and phosphorus in there too. And then, one thing you don't think about is, as that water shrinks, then you're starting to expose the shoreline. And sometimes we'll see where you get, you know, some sort of plant that grows there that doesn't typically grow. And those animals are going to spend a lot of time around the water in the summertime anyway. And if you happen to have, you know, some sort of a problem plant grow out of that wa- out of that soil that's typically not exposed, you can, uh, you know, run into some plant toxicity problems that way too.
0: So from a producer perspective, what are some things you'd encourage producers just to think through as they think about their water sources this summer? Some things to be aware of as we, you know, look at drought conditions again in much of Kansas and Nebraska. How can they be ahead of the game so to speak to minimize risk to livestock with surface water?
1: I think, you know, to me one of the big things is just to monitor. You need to be out there and making sure cuz quantity is by far more important than quality from a water access standpoint. Especially in these summer months, they, they're going to need a lot of water. Their water intake is going to double what it would be in the wintertime. And so as you're doing that, making sure there's still water there, you can always look at the physical appearance of the water and see if anything's changed. Um, and there are situations where, you, you know, the water source in the pasture may not be usable for a period of time. And I think it's important to have a plan to distribute water into that pasture if you can't use what's actually there. And we see several cases every year where people use a fertilizer tank, you know, what if it's a a nurse tank on a trailer um, that held fertilizer, it's convenient, it's on wheels, we can move it where we need to, but it it seems like every time that somebody does that, we run into a a nitrate or urea toxicosis case out of it. Um, So I think it's important to, you know, in a drought year, especially plan for that and prepare for that and have a dedicated water hauling device. Um, that you can employ if you, you know, later in the summer, if you end up where you need to actually haul water, just make sure it's dedicated for that purpose only.
0: Uh, Dr. Fritz, Dr. Ensley, anything else you'd like to highlight on this topic today?
1: No, I think it's a a real problem and it's, it seems like it's getting worse every year. You know, we'll have ponds now that will have multiple blooms in one, one single summer um, where, you know, it used to be if you had a bloom show up and it went away, you were fine for the rest of the summer. So, You know, the awareness is going up, which is good. But I think, you know, if you identify a bloom then honestly, the most cost effective thing is just to keep cattle away from it for as long as you can and then have it have the water tested, make sure it's safe. And then you can utilize that water source again. But, you know, we don't have a lot of good management options at this point and a lot of good preventative measures. So until we have that, I think it's it's managing around it as best you can.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, one of the one of the treatments that we've we've used in the past that we used to use that we don't anymore is copper sulfate. So people people know about that. But um it that, that the problem with that is you know if you only used it once a year or once every two years, you know, it was it it would it would work, you know, it would help with the algae bloom. But uh now when we see it every year, uh it's we get too much too much copper concentrated in that aquatic environment where we have to use it. And so Uh, we don't, we don't like to use that anymore as a, you know, a a treatment strategy for these blue green algae. So we don't, you know, we don't have a lot of, a lot of tools at hand to be able to try to do that. But, you know, rainfall events, trying to buffer, you know, buffer strip is the best we can, Uh, you know, try to keep animals out of the pond if you can, if you can, you know, uh, fence off an area where they can drink and not, not get into the water all the time. That's a great idea. But yeah, trying to move the water uh, when we we get still days and the water doesn't move become stagnant that you know that's also a, a contributor but again that's difficult you know there's no easy way to make you know to try to remediate any of that but yeah just you know think about it kind of develop a plan and, and you know be ready to act when you have to because it's you know more likely than unlikely
0: Dr Ansley Dr Fritz thanks for your time today and uh, appreciate just the research you're doing and your your input on how livestock producers can minimize risk as we think about utilizing surface water for watering livestock this summer.
1: Thanks for having us, Aaron. I appreciate it chatting with you.
0: You bet. Thanks a lot. Well, for more information on Dr. Fritz and Dr. Ensley and their work at Kansas State University, you can find more information on them online. Also at the beef.unl.edu website. Uh, We do have resources on this topic as well.